OTB GAA. Welcome along to the Bernard Brogan podcast. Uh, this is episode four, with special thanks to Super Value, proud sponsors of the 2020 uh, GA Championship. Um, my guest today is a good friend and colleague of mine, Jack McCaffrey. Jack, are you there? I am indeed, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Bernard. No, thanks a million, um, Jack. And I know you, you're just off a, a long few days and a 12 hour shift, am I right? Uh, 15 yeah the, the night shifts are a little longer but um, yeah I'm off for the next little while so happy out brilliant no no thanks a million for, for giving up your time and looking forward to the chat what I'd like to chat to you today about Jack is some serious but and, and a bit of crack as well I'd like to chat a little bit about little Jack and what shaped you as a, as a young kid because I actually don't know that much Sometimes we don't we don't have these deep conversations, so I'd like to know a little bit about that. I want to chat a little bit GA, uh, obviously. Um, I want to chat a little bit about the front line um, and the work you're doing and a bit and, and how that's going for you um, and your career. And I also want to talk about uh, a fantasy you have that only I know about, or very few people know about. That is, um, I'm sure the listeners would be very interested in. So, um, first of all, though, how's things going? How how is uh, how is Jack? Good, yeah, good. Um kind of been busy the last little while um, and had an exam a while back had some time off for work from work for that uh, I've been busy since I got back and now a little break again so yeah things are good kind of I'm based in Portobello at the moment so a bit of a new experience for me being around um, around town around a couple of my friends who I wouldn't have been as close with and just trying to figure out nice new ways to Get in and out of my own head during during lockdown. So doing a lot of road running, a bit of swimming in the sea, uh, and not too much that's exciting, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. So the rumor, unfortunately, the rumor wasn't true um, of last week. We didn't see it on uh, at the weekend with the dubs. Um, where did that rumor start from? Or do you have any idea? You know, I, I kind of um, took a step back from social media and all that jazz yeah. a couple of years ago, and. You, I think, might have been the first person to text me, and then I got a few. Dermo was on to me, um, a couple of people whose names I won't mention, who were <laughs> had vested interests, were on to me, and it, I'm sure. Look, there's a bit of a lockdown on at the moment. People have a lot of spare time, and I'd say someone just thought it'd be funny. There's not too many people who have a big curly head like me, so I find it hard to believe that they genuinely thought I was up there, but. Yeah, it, uh, there was no truth to that. So, unfortunately, unfortunately, you are though keeping yourself very fit. You sent me um, a screenshot of one of your of your runs, and I was trying to figure out where you were. So obviously that, that makes sense. Portfolio or Portobello, where you're living, it showed where you came out. You sent me that screen grab. You, you ran a 10k in 38 minutes. Like I, I, I ran a few 5k's over the lockdown, trying to stay fit, and I did one 10k with, with Deck Lally, and I gasped to get under 50 minutes. Like that's nearly this, Rio is, is is a potential uh, during mm-hmm. the summer or. I don't think long distances will be my forte, Bruno. Um, not surprised you're gassed in a 10k. That's <laughs> worth the running for you, in fairness. Uh, no, it's not. Yeah, like uh, I don't know. It, it's something I've tried to get into. Obviously, stepping away from football when you go, as I'm sure you found yourself, you go from having a really structured routine and staying in good physical shape is is a top priority. I think it's it, it's really important to settle into a bit of an exercise thing and like. I, I try and get a sweat on every day. Um, again, you've probably seen more than others that like my diet has a tendency to be deplorable. Um, so 
there was probably potential if I stepped away from exercising regularly that I would balloon. Um, so I'm glad that I've, I've found something I'm enjoying for the minute. And it's it's definitely keeping me keep me trim enough before Clontarf training comes back, which is probably sooner rather than later at this <laughs> I know Plunkets are, are very close to it as well. Well, 38 minutes is, is not just trotting along, Jack. That's pretty, I haven't seen many of those, those times, but, um, and I always thought you were a short, sharp man. But anyway, we'll get back to some of that, the uh, talk, but talk to me, talk to me a little bit about, um, your, your upbringing, uh, and I suppose the influences in your life. I know sport is a big part of it, but there's, there's a lot more to Jack than just sport, as we know. Um, right. Well, I suppose I, First of all, I've been very fortunate in lots of ways throughout my life, but um, I grew up with, I'm the eldest of four, um, mom and dad were at home and um, grew up in Clontarf, just a stone's throw from the beach, stone's throw from our local GA pitches, pitch 34 and 35 in St. Dan's. Went to a fantastic primary school called School Nasson, which is up in Harmonstown, um, which would have a lot of kind of GA links and, and really have, have fostered that side of things as you went through school. And then went into Belvedere, which which was a fantastic secondary school for me as well. It, that that they, they wouldn't play Gaelic football in there. And so that kind of, those two strands of my life would have separated a little bit coming up to junior cert and that. But, you know, I played rugby, did a bit of athletics. And, you know, the way you do when you're a kid, you just get thrown into everything. My parents were, were very good for doing that. I'd say they spent Saturday, Sundays, if not every day of the week, just ferrying the four of us from place to place so that we could uh, could, could do anything really we wanted to and uh, figure out what we enjoyed. In terms of influence, I suppose, like, if you're looking at it from a sports point of view, there were very few days that would go by that myself and my siblings wouldn't just go up to the park with Dad and he'd bring four footballs. He'd be behind the goal, just kicking them back, kicking them back, and we'd be running over and back trying left foot kicks, right foot kicks, whatever it was. Um, and so, you know, GA was always a nice distraction for me. It was it was always something I found fun and fortunately it was something I, I became good at. Um, outside of that, I, I suppose I, how academic can you be in primary school? But I, I would have been a bright enough kid, I think. Um, and my parents would have been very keen to to work on that side of things as well. So there were kind of summer camps. There was always encouraging us to read books in particular. Mm. We grew up without a TV at home. Uh, so that kind of was our, like, uh, I remember queuing up for Harry Potter books for the midnight release and you'd go home and just wouldn't see your friends for a few days as you tore through it. Uh, and, and I kind of got a real deep love for, for reading and, and, and writing then. Mm. Uh, like, what perspective of that not having TV? Obviously, at the moment, parents, myself included, with the phones and kids and looking for a bit of, bit of peace. I suppose lockdown has, has caused that, but computer games, all the current challenges. What perspective did, did, you, did you have as a kid or what, did, what way did that help you not having TV every day to be running the door from school to watch cartoons or whatever? Did, was well, it noticeable or do you, do, you, do you attribute that to it? I got ripped to shreds by my mate for <laughs> 15 years, but it... Uh, was it noticeable? Probably not. Like, look, the big lasting effect of it is that we're all great readers, and that that's something I'm really grateful for. That I can I can pick up a book and disappear into it for a day or two. Um, that's something I mightn't have, have ended up developing, or I mightn't end up doing if, if if we did have a telly. 
Um, I was probably just ahead of the kind of age where everyone has smartphones from a very young age. And I'm still, I'm 27, I'm, I'm quite bad for disappearing into my phone in the middle of conversation sometimes. And, you know, that kind of thing where you're just taking it out and checking it the whole time. And I think I would have been goosed if I was three or four years younger and had been handed a, an iPhone when I was 10 or 11. And to be honest, Bruno, I think it's a bit hard to say, like not having a telly made any particular concrete differences, but um, I think I think it's it's a dangerous enough time. Sometimes in work you see, you know, I'd see 10-year-old kids pulling their phones that are nicer than mine and you're, you're kind of wondering, like, look, they're very handy and they can be fantastic, like educational resources. You're probably training kids these days for a, a workplace that we can't even envisage yet where being kind of proficient with technology and, and all that is, is going to be a, a vital skill. Mm. But at the same time, I do wonder um, some of the things you can be exposed to as an adult online on Twitter or whatever can be damaging enough and, and difficult to deal with. And I, I wouldn't fancy doing it and going through puberty at the same time. And mm. you can kind of see how that might have a, a negative effect on, on some of the kids that are growing up these days. Yeah, fair play. So when you're your um in your child, what did you want to be when you when you grew up? Like obviously not what not having TV to frame your your judgment. Um, did you have different kind of aspirations as as a regular kind of kid to watch TV, but not that you were irregular, but um, <laughs> just what what did you want? Like what when you when you thought about the future, what did it look like? And did and is it anything that has panned out or just interested? Yeah, like so, like the only thing I always wanted to do was play for Dublin, um, and like where I live in Clontarf is, is very close to St. Anne's Power when I, where I grew up, sorry. And whenever Dublin were playing on a Sunday, up till I was about 13 or 14, myself, all my cousins, my uncles, my parents would would pop down onto the coast and walk our way into Croker, kicking a ball along the whole way, Dublin jerseys on, going in, cheering on the lads, and then going straight back to Clontarf J Club where they'd have a barbecue after games and you'd run around and you'd be trying to replicate kind of the moves that some people had done. And the only reason I stopped doing that is because I got a job in Croker selling programs before the games. And I used to, you'd see the team bus come in and like, geez, there's, there's the Dublin players. And it, it, you know, that, that was something that I definitely always wanted to do. And in terms of anything else, I, I, I didn't really have a, probably still don't have a concrete idea of exactly who or what I want to be, but it was only really coming up to the leaving cert that I decided to throw my hat at medicine. Mm. I was probably reluctant to do it. My, my two parents are doctors and that probably delayed me making that decision a bit because I didn't want to be seen to just follow them along. Um, but they never would have put me under pressure or encouraged me to do it, but I just got to see them and enjoying the work that they were doing. Um, and they, they both are in, in very different fields. They, their their mum works in the addiction services and dad kinda is in sports medicine. So they're they're not your typical doctor jobs, but just seeing that seeing them both enjoying their job, working with people the whole time, I decided that it might be something I'd like to do. Mm. I've always enjoyed kind of coaching kids, no more than you've done yourself with, with summer camps since since we were both very young. And um, I've always kind of gotten on well with children and enjoy having a bit of a buzz with them. So Pediatrics kind of fit like a glove once I tried it, and yeah, really happy with how that's gone. Yeah, fair play, and um, we will. I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. But you say they're selling programs in Crow Park, and 
your dad obviously playing playing for Dubs and All Ireland's. Like, did, how did you go about in your own head? Did, did, did you? go after things a bit more to try and play for Dublin did you invest more time did you work harder um, or, or did you kind of just did it just happen organically through just the love for the game so I suppose the first thing is that dad would have been finished up with Dublin before I was um, born really and I only really became conscious of the fact that he had played for Dublin when I started getting involved with development squads and under 13s under 14s and as I kind of got a bit older within the club I realised that he was a very well-respected member of the club and had a good playing career behind him. Um, it's not something he ever would have vaunted or talked to me about until I started playing for Dublin when he shared some of the things that he'd experienced. Um, and our careers took very different trajectories. So uh, it, it was really interesting to hear that side of things. I've been very lucky, Bruno. Um, and I, I, I think... I know how your career panned out and how it started off. Um, I got involved with one of the first really good development squad setups. I'm fast, which isn't something I ever particularly worked at. And I I, I kind of rode this wave through to under 21, where my first year at under 21 was under Jim Gavin, who the following year was the Dublin senior manager. Like You really couldn't have written a nicer path for, for myself, say, Kieran. Uh, Mannion, like that kind of group of guys who were born in 1993. We, so I, I was very lucky, and I probably, without being too cocky about it, I probably didn't have to work very, very hard until I was in the Dublin senior setup. And um, I went in, and then in 2012, I was knocking around under Pat, very peripheral, just for a month or two during the summer. In 2013, I was again a kid just running around having fun and it all went really well. And then 2014, I was an absolute shambles of a bloke and it had gone poorly. Um, and that was probably the first time I was put to the pin of my collar mm. from the GA point of view that, that you know, you can't just coast through all this. You have to put the head down and do a bit of work. And thankfully, I did find a bit of a drive in and a bit of a desire to, to not be this kind of one-year wonder for, for lack of a better word uh, but one year player and then disappeared off I, I wanted to do a bit more I felt I was good enough to do a bit more and that drove me on for kind of 2015 then the next big obstacle I had was probably my crucial injury in 2017 and that's that is something that I'm kind of glad happened to me if, if that makes sense because I, I sometimes question myself whether I'm mentally weak whether when I have to dig deep and work hard, whether I can do it, because because I've been lucky enough not to have to do it too often. Mm. But I, I think, and again, you can draw on your own experience here. I think anyone who comes back from a crucial injury to, to the level they were at beforehand has kind of proved that beyond any reasonable doubt. And to prove that to myself and then to other people is something I'm, I'm really proud of having done. So, in summary, very lucky for a while, hard for a while. <laughs> Talk to me about 2014 because I know 2012 was it, and you went through and had a uh, 2013 went great for you. Was it the over celebration? Was it taking things for granted? Uh, I had a bit of it myself in 2012 after obviously getting over the line for the first time, uh, and I know I was there with you, so I can um, I'm, I'm, I'm prompting you to answer these honestly <laughs> in 2014. Yeah. But what was it that that just what first of all what was it that that you struggled with, and then what changed? I suppose. Um. Well, I would be interested to hear a bit more about 2012 because I remember coming into 
the Dublin setup, having just won first All Ireland in 16 years, like shaking with nerves, walking into the dressing room a week or two, being like just head down, head down, and then kind of quite quickly looking around and being like, did, did these lads win All Ireland? Like they're carrying on the way that they're carrying on. Um, and anyway, then 2013 came along. Um, we were these this kind of like swashbuckling team. We just ran around. It was everyone forward, man to man. 2014, I was, like, I was in first year in college. Um, I was drinking properly for the first time. Not that I would say I had a problem with that or anything, but I was going out a lot physically. I was in, I was, I was probably three or four kilos heavier than than I am now, and that's with significantly less muscle on me. Um, and yeah, I just kind of, I probably had a little arrogance mm. in my back pocket that this has worked from like, all I have to do is turn up. Uh, all I've done really is, is turn up since I was 13 and uh, that's going to keep on happening. And I was dropped for a couple of games, got back in for that Donegal game. I actually still think I shouldn't have been subbed off at halftime despite all this. Um, I think we would have, <laughs> anyway, that game. Um, you would have caught, you would have caught him, would you? You would have caught Ryan on the way. <laughs> my man had scored 1-1 one, one in a half of football. Like, I'm arguing that I should have been left on the pitch. So, <laughs> not like that. Uh, but I think that was probably it. It, it was just, it, it, it was, like, looking back on it, it was probably natural. Like, wh- why would I think that anything had to change? All I'd had was, was success given doing things the way I'd done them up to that point. Um, but it like, look, it, it caught me. I learned a very valuable lesson. I like to think I'm a little bit more humble now than, than I was back then. Yeah. Talk to me about 2012. That's just interesting. Your yeah. perspective on it. Obviously the reason why I say I know from 2012 is that I went with the Sam McGuire to every school, to every pub for three months. Then I went to Australia with Amo and <laughs> I didn't get back till the end of January. So, and, and probably went a bit excessive myself in 2012. Now, as you said, we did get back into it, we did put the head down, but what do you mean when you came in that, we, did you feel like we were getting after the things right or did you feel that we were loose or what did you mean by that? Yeah, it, it just, I, I remember some of the meetings Pat had, there was someone who were very funny. Um, I was very much nearly like a fly. Well, sorry, funnily enough, 2012 is probably the best football I've played in my entire life. I was on fire throughout an under-21 All-Ireland Championship and I, genuinely think if I had a come on against Mayo in that all Ireland semi-final I could have run a muck like mm-hmm. nobody had a clue who I was no one knew anything about me I, I, anyway yeah, I'm very hung up on the games I didn't get <laughs> I see that yeah jeez um, but what I found was like I suppose it was my first time being involved with an adult team as well so maybe there was a bit of that but it just seemed like every training session there was a story about a night out that happened the weekend before or some stories that we'll we'll leave in the dressing room, and I was, I was only young, and, and I, but it just, I expected to walk into this thing that like I I, I come from minor under twenty one senior, I was ready to up my game to raise to a higher standard, and I just found that I didn't really have to, and mm. um, which surprised me a bit, and I I don't know I think having spoken to a few other lads who were around there and who were more similar to you who'd been there for a while, that I think that it's pretty universally acknowledged that 2012 was a dip on the year before, which is only natural, obviously. Um, but yeah, that, I, I was just surprised at, at how little a step up it was. Mm. Um, 
and I think it probably should have been a, a tougher one. Yeah, that's really interesting because yeah, I always look back at that time and. It was a kick of a ball. I think Mayo. Like I, I had a chance to put us into yeah, yeah. the final. We could have, we could have got over the line. What? All the way. It was <laughs> low and hard. I know. I talk. It's anytime we tell anyone about goal, get goal scoring now. It's forget about the top score. I actually tried to put a low and hard, but it, it started to rise. That lives with me, as you say, the, the torture of things that don't go right. And yeah, um, it's it's tough. But talk to me about the. And in 2012 and even 14, there's times when we, we over access and we don't tune into the things that are right. But for me, that's what makes it, what, what makes it count. That's what makes it matter. The, the, the dressing room, the crack, the colleagues. Uh, yeah. And when I look back at my time with Dublin, yes, there's some magic memories of the pitch and lifting Sam Maguire, but 95% of, of my positive thoughts and memories are the, are, the, are the stories, the crack, even training camps, even times we, it was tough. But that's that's what I go back to. How important for you was the the people and the dressing room in your journey? It was everything. I'm completely on board with you on that, and that's why when people are asking me around the place now, like, do you miss it when you're watching the matches? And like, of course you do. You look out and you go, wouldn't it be great to be there? But like arriving, at, like if if playing for Dublin was arriving at training, training, going home, turning up for matches, playing, and going home, I would have packed it in years ago. Like. Uh, some people think, look at you like you've two heads when you talk about arriving, training an hour and a half before it starts. But you, some days you like skip into the dressing room and you have a good story to tell. Or you, I, I used to kind of be friendly with Cosi or Mano a bit more outside of football. And I'd, I'd have a gag about them that I couldn't wait to tell everybody. And you go and just rip them out of it. And there's always like so many different characters, like just Eod with a sour head on them the whole time in the corner or like, and you, you'd know if someone had done something slightly embarrassing on social media to just drop it into conversation with O'Gara and he'd, he'd like, oh, I would eat him up and eventually it would boil out. And anyway. Speaking I, I, of O'Gara there, Jack, while, while I have you, I told him that I was coming on with you today and I think it was actually Eamon Fennell that christened you this uh, boo the friendliest, world's cutest dog. But O'Gara sent me a picture that hopefully we can put on screen now uh, and see the resemblance even though you're actually looking strikingly well at the moment there is a, still a resemblance up on screen there Jack I know you might be able to see it but um, yeah so Gara was well equipped to give it to you between the eyes he was a, he's a great character in dressing wasn't he yeah um, no I remember it was Mick McCauley who christened me that oh, and then it? we were going to bloody training camp in Dingle of all places and we stopped somewhere in Offaly I think for a couple on the way down and Amo walked into it a tiny little corner. It was corner a dare, shot. I think, was it? Was it, it was a stop in, in the dare in Limerick? This teddy bear of the, of the dog. Like, how was it there? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that was a, that, that, that brought me down a peg or two. I was probably too confident for a for <laughs> Um Yes, no, the fact that facial hair is now acceptable has, has done me a few favours. Um, so I'm yeah. having up with that. While you have the mic, is there any uh, any slagging or any stories you want uh, you'd like to share with us around a, an O'Gara or a Mick Fitz? I know there's maybe <laughs> is there any good good anecdotes that you that you were thinking about um, before the, before the show? Yeah, no, I was trying to think last night. Uh, I did a nice night in work, but not nice enough to sit down. And, <laughs> and, and that's okay. Me. That's okay. I'll, anything that comes to mind, I'll, I'll volunteer. But I. Nothing, nothing as of yet. No, come here. No, they're, they're all right. Um, I think you, you mentioned something there about your confidence and questioning yourself and, and the injury and all that stuff. Like I would have said that you were probably the most self-assured and self-confident person. Not cocky, self-confident. 
and self, self-aware is a, is a word I'm using a lot at the moment. It's just you were just happy in yourself and you were really content and you backed your ability. Um, is that what it was like? Did you feel like that under a bonnet? You always we'll talk about the smile in a minute, but what, what did you ever doubt yourself? You know what I mean? And I know there's times where you might have been playing as well, but it was probably because of your, your overindulgence more than your ability. Do you know what I mean? And it was all within your control. Did you always just feel you, 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 you had the ability? Um, did I always feel I had the bit from a footballing point of view? Yeah, I suppose I did. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Like I, I'm kind of doing a good bit of work on that myself at the moment. On just, I, I haven't figured out quite yet how to get in there of my own head properly and 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 where I'm at and and just kind of checking in with myself. Um, so I'm one thing that I am very good at is kind of reading other people and and giving them what they want and, and kind of showing them a side of me that that I think that they want to see, especially in, in, in like media things, just a bit of a smile and whatever. Uh, it's not always what's going on, um, but it's it's something I found has worked for me is just kind of projecting that. Now, look, 90% of the time that is, that is the case, but I've had times when I've been very down um, and people just wouldn't know about it until, until they do. And that's only happened to me once or twice, fortunately, but it's, it's kind of been pent up a long time before it's been, been teased out. Mm. Uh, from a football point of view, I've always been confident. Um, everything else, no, <laughs> not always. I, I like to think I, I've kind of, I've been lucky through work and through various social circles to just meet a really wide variety of people, no, no more so than true Dublin football. Like you, you've, you've such different personalities, and I just, I, I can't explain how much I respect anyone who's, who's comfortable in their own skin. Like, and I don't care if that's you, the all-American, handsome Gaelic footballer, whatever, or if it's some fella who wears flare jeans and has no interest in sport or whatever it is, like someone is cool as far as I'm concerned if they are happy and, and comfortable being them mm. so that's kind of what I aspire to now uh, to just to just be happy with where I'm at and, and what I'm doing and I like to think I'm, I'm getting there but it hasn't always been like that no the, the football you, you've you've seen me shed a tear or two I know you're well you're you're you're, you're a very transparent person for, in my view anyway and how are you like and you talk about like I love that. It's like people who are happy, comfortable in their skin, no matter what they are, because the times I am done comfortable in my skin, that I'm questioning myself as much as anyone else. And, and you, how are you getting after that? Like, genuinely, like, what, what is, I know exercise is important, but you're just talking about getting in and out of your own head and COVID and lockdown, resilience and mental, mental health. And I did a talk with Ted there and Furman from Ballymun, who's trying to have a support group for people. Like, how, how, are, you, how are you managing to do that or, or is it working for you? Yeah, exercise is is a massive part of it for me. So when I go out running, often I'll try on a bit of music on the watch. But some days I'll say leave that off and just see where your head goes. Um, that's a bit meditative. Trying to get into swimming a bit mm. and just listening to music. Um, I would have probably to go back to the whole confident, happy-go-lucky, easy enough ride into the Dublin setup. Mm. When when we had sports psychologists in and stuff, I. I was in one ear and out the other a lot. Um, and I probably think I could have taken a lot more from that side of things out of out of my time in Dublin. But I, I, 
I suppose I have a, I have a couple of good friends who I can bounce things off as well. If I ever need to, if I ever need to get stuff off my chest, I have a great relationship with my siblings who I can do similarly um, with if needs be. But getting out of the house, getting a bit of fresh air is really the key. And look, that's a bit of a trope or a bit of a an easy answer when people talk about about clearing the head, but but it, it it does work for me. Simple as that's what I kind of going after at the moment. Fair play. One of my most, <coughs> one of my my, my favourite moments. Um, I've been in the green room under under Crow Park, um, and gone into the huddle five minutes before. Um, throw in, and we're just we're getting into the zone, and you're you're the chain is linked together, and we when we were told to look each other in the eye, and I scan around, and Jack. Jack or James McCarthy would cut you with his, his stare, and Clucko would nearly kill you. And I look around at Jack and the, and the, just the smile, uh, and it made me made me laugh every time. Literally, I saw it a hundred times. And how much of that was for you? And I know you you talked about it in the media in the war in the, in the parade you've done it and you talked about it. But I know that in that circle, it wasn't about public perception. It was about the group. How much of it was that was for you for your own headspace, and how much it was for the group because. I got such confidence and energy from it and I, 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 I spoke to you loads of times about it and how much I loved it and I'm sure loads of people did but talk to me a little bit about the psychology behind that. Yeah, well, so I think it just, there was one of those, um, everyone huddled up in the last few messages and here we go, actually, you can kind of hear the crowd rumbling and yeah, we're going, we're going and I think it was just said, now look around, look at everybody and I did and I just kind of naturally was like, Beck, you know, sometimes you you kind of get imposter syndrome up at, at some of those training sessions or at those meetings where you're like, I'm beside Keane, Clucko, Philly Mack, Bern. And, and I was looking around and I, was, I just started smiling. And then after that game, someone came up to me and told me I looked like an absolute lunatic and, and that it was very off-putting for them. And then it kind of became a bit of a thing that we joked about. And I definitely did it consciously afterwards. But I do, like, I do think that that standing under Croker, bouts from out in front of whatever thousand people. Like you've got you're not hands around, like you're grabbing each other and in tight and you're looking at some of the best people to play the game and some of your best friends and like jeez you can't if you can't smile then when can you? Anyway, it looks a bit the problem is that this is after a warm up when you're pumping sweat. And yeah, it, it's it's a creepy look. It's it's not a look. <laughs> yeah, that was my line. Is that you're creeping me out here, Jack? But I love it. Like, don't don't ever stop. Like, so that brings me to um, <clears throat> the, uh, this trigger, this fantasy conversation. So I'm I'm mad about high performance. And during my period in 2019, obviously trying to make myself relevant, trying to add value to the team. Obviously, wasn't playing as much, but was trying to help around the dressing room as much as I could. And I, I remember during the year, um, I just asked a few players, yourself, Con, a uh, few of the lads, what your triggers were. And uh, you gave me a, an answer, and I, I wrote it down phonetically in my, in, in the, in my book, and I'm going to try it. it. It was, Doviante, Setuve, Segan. Am I right? Try it there. Well, I see. This is the thing about fantasy, Bernard. You could be right. <laughs> the person, the author who wrote that, is long dead, unfortunately. So I would go with Dovi Andy Satovius again. So yeah. the, the story behind it is: you tell me that, and everyone's like, "What the hell is that?" Uh, I, I wrote it down phonetically on my phone, and I remember before the Thursday or f- Thursday or Friday before the first 
uh, drawing game um, in Croker. I went up to you and I showed you. I went into my notes on my phone and I showed it to you and you just start spilling laughing. Uh, mm-hmm. And you actually changed it. You, you spelt it right for me and you said, and we talked about the story, about what it, what it means. Can you just give us a bit of insight about why it's a trigger and what it means? Um, well, I suppose I, what did I have? I, I had a couple of things. We used to get notebooks, as you know, to, to, to kind of jot down notes on opposition or, or what have you. And I, I always used to scribble Toby Andy Satovi Sagain at the front and I think never let the pressure overpower the fun from what's on Ready by Codeline, which I, not a song I particularly love, but I would listen to it on the way into, into all our matches just because because of that line. Um, but Doviani Satovis again means it's time to toss the dice. And it's from a series of fantasy books called The Wheel of Time, which I started reading when I was about and And yeah, I, I like I I do really like fantasy books to the point that I'd have read those countless times. Like the characters in them feel like friends nearly. Uh, some of them not so friendly, but it's, uh, yeah, so it, it was a, it was a bit of a different slant on things. And then whenever Jim asked me what my trigger was, I said something completely different. I just gave word and was like, yeah. That's- you didn't want to get into it, did you? I'm part of the group. Yeah. Get me involved. <laughs> I'm uh, yeah. I'm no. I'm normal. I don't. I'm not into fantasy books. You actually got a tattoo of it. So when I asked, could I, could I, could I, uh, could I bring it up? He said, "Well, I've tattooed it on my leg, so I'm literally pot committed at this stage." So um, is that is that true? Uh, yeah, I haven't scribbled very much. Fair play, and I think that just shows. I suppose that's why I, I love your character. I love your honesty, and 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 just said we had to chat about comfortable in your skin and. And maybe that was the insight that, uh, as a kid, uh, not having a TV, that you were able to get away. And, and for me, is that the kind of getting away from your head, getting into this world? Um, I was lucky enough to to write a book over the last number of months and, and go on a journey of re- remembering things. And if, if you don't mind me saying, I, I, I think you have aspirations. Would you have aspirations to to get into writing in in, the, in this fantasy space? Um, yeah, am I right in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's definitely something I'd like to do um, something I very tentatively started working on um, and yeah I, I don't think I have an autobiography in me um, but I yeah I'd like to have it as a string to my bow that, I, that I've written a book um, so the nice thing about fantasy is that you you make the rules it's, it's whatever you want it to be no one can tell you what works what doesn't work uh, it, it's kind of a nice way for me to stay in touch with a couple of my friends from, say, school or one guy who I worked with a while ago who I probably otherwise would have drifted away from. But we're all fans of similar stuff, so we can you know, kind of every now and then bounce things off each other. And, and it gives me an excuse to read all the books I read when I was a kid again as research or whatever you want to call it. So uh, this isn't going to be... This isn't going to be today or tomorrow, but uh, I'd like to. I'd like to be able to say I gave it a good go at some point. Fair play. I, I remember texting you a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> I was watching Lord of the Rings, which, which I love. It's a it's a, a commercial fantasy. I know a franchise, and I texted you and said, um, "Is this too commercial for you now? Like, are you? Is this? Or do you have to be like this world that is like books that have 
uh, dust on them, the lawyer being stuff like that. But um, you you continue to say absolutely not and give me. I think Raven. Uh, Raven Deep or you give me the, the, the word of where it is was been attacked by the, the orcs and you continue yeah. to give me quote after quote and I was like okay Jack I get the message you, you know this <laughs> you know Lord of the Rings off by heart it's, uh, it's fair enough Classic, Classics are classics for a reason there's no, <laughs> no snobbishness in, uh, in fantasy world uh, Give me or if you don't if, if you would can you, can, can you give me two minutes of a visualisation of what your world would look like and I'm just trying to think about what like or, is, or, or can you not go there yet from a as you say, the rules, there's no rules. Is, is this, give me a time it's set in. Is it, is it a different world? Is it, in, in, give, me, give me a two-minute visualisation because I'm interested. Or can you? Or is, that, is there a patent on that that you have to wait until you read the book? I'll have to be sparse on details, but um, the thing about it is, I'm sorry, I might have misspoken there if I said there aren't rules because that really annoys me in, uh, in fancy books where you, like, you, do, you set up very concrete rules for whatever world you're going to operate in. And then some people are like, ah, you know, if you can if there are dragons here, we can make whatever happen. And you're like, no, that's not really how it works. <laughs> you can still have kind of a baseline here. Um, so what do you need to do? You need to kind of come up with a world, visualize it, map kind of a, a bit of a society. You need to come up with some characters. And then I suppose one of the really important things is a, a magic system if you're going to have one. Um, so that's what I'd be... Like, if you can kind of make any of those angles particularly unique or interesting or a, a slightly different slant on, on what's been done before then you you know you, you've got something that's yours and you can run with it so i'm i'm looking at the, the magic system side of things this is like i need to really stress how in its infancy this is <laughs> well once you, once you start talking about it and you say it uh you have to make it happen Do you know what, what, what is said becomes reality so the more you talk about it the more you'll motivate yourself to do it that's my philosophy I want to talk a little bit about the dubs again, but before I do, I just want to talk briefly about the front line and what I, I believe has given you ma- massive purpose over the last year um, and your whole life and, and, and since you've been involved in it. Your, your, your work, as you said, you're coming off a 15-hour shift. Uh, I think you've done f- close to 14 shifts in a row or something like that. And I know you move some of them for exams, but like the effort and work that, and passion you're putting into it, you talk about passion of, 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 your, of your job. Talk to me a little bit about that and, and how COVID has, what you've seen over the last nine months. Um, yeah, well, I, I do love the job I'm doing at the moment, which is, which is a, I'm, I'm very lucky and given what's going on all around the place, very lucky to have a job and to be working in a field that, that is relatively immune to, uh, to, to losses because of the pandemic. But uh, from a COVID point of view, I, I actually don't have much of a perspective to give on it because I, Working in paediatrics then in Kilkenny, when it all hit, we came quite quiet, really. Um, a lot of the you know, schools were closed, parents were at home with their kids, were managing things um, a lot more than they probably w- would have been able to otherwise. Um, we probably saw a lot fewer patients coming in. Now, those who came in were, were often quite sick, but you know, not above and beyond what, what we'd normally expect to see. Um, and then since coming back up to Dublin, I've been in Hollis Street, which is a maternity hospital here, and... Um, COVID is it makes things slower sometimes and it, it complicates one or two things but by and large we're very busy in in the way that they're always normally busy in there like the babies are arriving people are coming in you know they, they they're, they're pretty much going to just do their own thing um, in, like chatting to some of my colleagues one of my housemates works in adult medicine like it, it's been it's been a funny one like it's <laughs> there's been this 
like low level anxiety nearly for I, I remember watching videos and then chatting to Nick Fitz at the, when all this was kind of kicking off I was watching videos on how to manage intubated patients on a corridor like we just didn't know what was going to happen and there even though I've, I've never been like reassigned to an adult service or, or moved around there's just been a constant low level s- something uneasy going on so that's been a bit tough to manage um, and then there's there's the feeling of well what am I doing like, am I helping out really and you know I am in particular but I'm uh, I'm doing the job I would have been doing anyway and uh, enjoying that but I think it's it's been a there's no way to think about it it's been an incredibly strange year for everyone in Ireland um, regardless of your profession and everyone has different kind of stressors and anxieties to be dealing with so I, I've been I've been kind of living life relatively normally like being able to go into work and have that even as a social circle is is a godsend I think if I was working at home I'd, I'd really struggle um, so I've been I've been quite lucky yeah, and you're you're always going to answer that humbly <laughs> as a character you are, and I'm sure um, I've actually got two messages from people um, praising you helping the delivery of their of their baby. So you are you are very much uh, on the front line and, and doing a service that is very important for our, our mothers and our new mothers out there. So um, don't uh, <laughs> and, and, and I, I know you don't self praise. So um, but uh, it's an amazing, and it's, it's it's been tough, I know, I'm sure. But um, it is great to be that you're out there and you're 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 getting after it. Before before we finish up, um, I do want to ask you um, around the the, the the dubs and obviously going forward into an all Ireland final. Has that been, has it been tough watching this year? What were the main motives um, for you pulling away this year? I know you're a man that has 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 is a lot of self awareness and, and has great perspective on life. But what was your main motives? Um. I, I I don't really know. I suppose I think if Desi hadn't gotten involved, I probably would have stepped away earlier. And uh, Desi's been an incredible influence on my football career um, from from when I was twelve. And once he took over the job, I was like, right, let's. I can surely I can give him a year. I can I can I can give it a good go. And wouldn't it be cool to kind of finish what we started all that time ago? But something just wasn't right and it, it probably wasn't right since halfway through the summer last year when I just felt the fun had gone out of out of uh, out of the whole thing uh, really and I wasn't looking forward to going to training like you know I, I'd spoken in interviews before about the love I had for the group and stuff and that was always true but it just kind of suddenly wasn't really anymore just because of changes in, in my life as opposed to anywhere else. Um, and then I think what broke me was the drawn final. Like you just, you build up everything for this game and it went quite well on a personal level. And obviously we didn't win. We didn't lose. Thank God. But I remember shaking David Moore and I was walking off the pitch and I was walking up to the ref. I thought there was extra time and David Moore just kind of stuck his hand out to shake my hand and I was like we don't have to do this again do we? <laughs> like, yeah you know. I, I, I totally agree you know I wasn't obviously I was in the stands this time but the the energy it takes personally to, or for, for an individual to get to hype up for that game and to give it everything and then to think about I have to go back into training I have to go back work all of the things that have to kick out two weeks is, is a really difficult uh, to take isn't it? Yeah, and like I had incredible colleagues in Temple Street who 
like really covered my backside on, on numerous occasions for me to get out to training and stuff. And then I had, a, I was at a clinic on a Thursday afternoon that following week. And if I had just said to anyone, I've got training, there would have been no, help. I was there more to learn really than anything at that point. This is a pretty specialized clinic and I was surplus to requirements. If I'd have said I'm training now at seven, I would have been told off you go. But I just kept my mouth shut and I stayed there till eight o'clock, I think. And I'm, I missed training. And I was like, I, I can't go there. I can't. Uh, I just turned up and told Jim, got caught late at a, at a clinic um, and didn't train. And we rolled into the next week and, and thankfully everything went well. But I was so drained by that. Um, and then then I never really got it back. Uh, and then when Desi got involved, I was down at Kilkenny, which was always going to be a little bit more challenging. But, you know, I was training away, had a little GPS unit, you know, decent enough shape without being best shape of my life or anything and I went up we went up and played Tyrone and I'd come off I, I don't know if I'd been working a night two nights before three nights before and I arrived up and was like right grand we stopped in a hotel and cabin I think and I nearly fell asleep sitting on the floor listening to our kind of pre-match talk I was like I'm not I'm not doing anyone any favours here I remember I think Kev Mack kind of spotted me I was like are you you all right? And then came on at half time, hurt my hammer, went off. I actually, <laughs> sorry, this is going on a bit of a tangent, but I, I was coming back down from that game. I, I hurt my hamstring, got on the bus, rang a friend in New York, booked a flight to New York the following day, left the country, decided to quit football. And, came. <laughs> and, yeah. and I say, sorry, that's another thing I don't want to say I'm doing because I, like, I, don't, I don't really like this whole retired probably because I'm a bit younger uh, I don't want to say I'm retiring of Gaelic football as a, a hobby and it's it's something I love and I no one will be happier than me if I woke up tomorrow and said I've got a bit of a buzz on I want to play for Dublin again and um, it's not there at the moment that's not to say it won't be there again I'm going to be playing on tariff till I'm about 47 years old and like you've no choice in that Jack unfortunately you have to come here and let's say this this year to speak and I haven't went close to the group because I'm conscious of my book and of my own anxiety about telling stories and obviously you'd understand about the group and, and uh, that type of thing but I, I can imagine what training is like for them I did it obviously with the club we did it, you did it and I did it rolling up to a training session no shower no meal after take away I'd say the enjoyment for the players at the moment every county not just Dublin is minimal other than the love of getting out there playing a bit of football but do you think that it's it's a that does that resonate with you are you happy that that you don't have to do that and try and yeah. generate motive self-motivate when it's just so hard to, to motivate yourself for just serious training and just rolling in rolling out i think the the, the the fun of it is gone for for a lot of people i'd say from a selfish point of view i'm i'm happy not to be there but like in fairness to the lads and the hurlers, the ladies footballers, the service it's provided just like that last minute goal by Cork. <laughs> well, like that was such, that was one of the most exciting things that's happened to me in the last 10 months. And then to see uh, the hurlers putting on exhibitions, all that's going, like it, it is, at the start of all this, I was like, well, they're not just packing the championship on, like there's bigger things going on at the moment, but it, it's been an incredibly important thing for so many people. Um, and, I think that it's really quite selfless what a lot of 
inter-county players are doing around the country at the moment. Because um, I'd imagine a lot of them are feeling a little bit, are getting a little bit less out of it than, than they would otherwise. Um, I've just been between work and like, I, I watched I watched the full Westmead game and then I was on my way home to watch the Dublin Mead game, which I, I don't know, you've been around the last few years. I'm, I'm just terrified of Mead every year. I just think that they're, they have a really good team coming and they have a, a lot of baggage that they want to mm. batter at Dublin with. But I was really nervous about that game and I got chatting to a friend and next thing it was kind of half time. I just checked my phone and it was like 20 points. Well, it was a one-sided affair and I just didn't get to tune in. And um, I haven't really been watching it. Now, I, I, you know, you have Cavan winning and Tip winning and uh, you get in and watch the Sunday game there and, and, and that's all fantastic. But I've I've really been surprised myself at, like, it, I, I'm less mm. into the Intercounty GA now than I would have been before I started playing. Yeah. Uh, I, no, you're a GA fan first and foremost, and that that's an. I remember one of my first years in Dublin being like told, and then one of the other players just kind of said, "I don't think any of us should watch the other All Ireland quarterfinals because we need to be focused on ourselves." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna watch, watch it. <laughs> They're probably going to be good games of football." Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah, I don't know. I'm moving. I'm rambling a lot today. No, you know, you're, it's it's you're right. It's kind of I'm the same. You, you're little bit fatigued probably with it and you're kind of there's so much going on that it's yeah but for, I'm sure for so like, it has been for so many the sport you spoke about it emotionally after Crumlin Hospital last last summer um, I, I saw the clip again about how sport, sport is so important to people do you still with the perspective of COVID and the last few weeks have you seen that energy from people do you still believe that sport is so important to society and to, and to posit, positive mental health and all of those things Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, even more so, a lot of the time. Like, I, I know, unfortunately, we can't have crowds at games and, and things like that. But just to have something to talk about that isn't lockdown this and lockdown that. Um, and I suppose I am privileged enough to to work with children now. At the moment, they're they're very young children who aren't watching any football matches. But when you're working with kids, they're like the pure excitement and joy they get out of watching whatever sport it is they like to watch is fantastic. Um, and I think it's it's great. It inspires kids and keeps them active and so many health benefits. You heard some of the phenomenal stories. I don't know if you were involved, Bernard, but Alan, I know, was and the kind of project that David Brady ran where he was bringing uh, people who were cocooning or who were isolating for various reasons just to have a chat with them. And that, like, the impact that has on people is measurable and I think like I've rarely been prouder of the GA than I was when, when all this kicked off because as an organisation the clubs around the country just stepped up whether it was a charitable fundraiser looking after older members of the community all that great so it, it was it was really incredible to watch and then as the inter-county thing kind of came back into motion and there were restrictions and there was a bit of a clash <laughs> The GA didn't cover themselves in glory in all aspects of things, but it, it really highlighted, and this year has really highlighted what this organisation we're a part of is, and it's it's magic of it. it like, if it was just the intercounty teams, like, who not who cares? But it it like the whole point is that every player out there is representing a parish, and 
every player out there is representing their family and their friends. And I see how excited people in Pontarf are to see me playing. And I can only imagine that that's the same for Kerry lads, for Monaghan lads, for everybody. Um, so I think I think the GA really could be one of the winners of this yeah. pandemic when, when things settle down, if we are forced to take stock of a lot of things and keep that perspective, it'd be, it'd be phenomenal. Yeah. Even our good pal Kieran Kilkenny got himself and uh, and his and his mother out. In fairness, he did some great work on social media. Probably didn't see it; you weren't on it. But he was he kept a lot of kids entertained and motivated. In fairness to him, I heard that back from so many people earlier on. Like again, something. Well, I was going to say something small, but no, a big undertaking by Kieran and the impact it had on. Like, I think you're talking hundreds of thousands of people. Like, so that's that's the real positive side of. of Social media and yeah. the things you can hear. Does it annoy you? Just I know I've kept you probably longer than I should have, but um, does it annoy yeah. you hearing? And you're probably not seeing as much of it. But you're probably hearing murmurs of it as <clears throat> as, as Dublin, please God, uh, get over the line for for six. Um, there's a lot of this talk around money doping and this team. Uh, for me, it's tarnishing the 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 efforts that these guys are doing week in week out to be the best as they can be. Have you any thoughts on that, or do you, are you, are you, have you heard that debate, or, or what's your what's your views? It's, I don't think it's new. But it's something I was asked about a lot when, when we were playing. Um, I, I've always said that our biggest advantage is that we all live in Dublin, and for me, going to Dublin training was a twenty-minute cycle or a fifteen-minute drive from Clontarf. Now that said, there's some lads coming from Dalky where they're coming across town and Rochester, but like we. If we're going to be honest with it, like we're not leaving work on Friday to drive to Donegal or to Kerry, um, and that that kind of thing is an incredible commitment. Um, I, I think that's far bigger, uh, far a far bigger advantage than the financial side of things. Um, I, I do think that there was a a real, well, or a perceived threat to GA in Dublin for a while that that numbers would fall. In places like where I grew up in Clontarf, where traditionally you would have had rugby, you know, sailing, cricket, all these would have been bigger than Gaelic football. Um, we actually, sorry, one of my friends from Monaghan slags me. I mentioned the <laughs> the competition with the local tennis club in an interview once, and he lost. <laughs> um, but we, oh, sorry, I think that they were absolutely right to pump whatever money they pumped into Dublin to to keep this like the the setup in clubs around. Dublin is incredible at the moment it, it, and seeing hundreds upon hundreds of kids out training every Saturday Sunday is fantastic and that's what we should we should be looking for everywhere so I think that needed to be done I don't think and you can correct me I'm not sure when all this happened but I, I, I don't think my age would have particularly benefited from it um, I, I, I could be wrong but I think it kind of came after I would have been grown up um, and when most of this team who's achieved what it's achieved had, had grown up and developed into the players they were um, and I think that there's there, there seems to be from from whispers I'm hearing that there's real problems with a lot of clubs then um, in various kind of rural areas um, where there's emigration and their clubs looking at folding. It's difficult to get numbers in. So I think the GA will have to just turn their focus there and make sure that that side of things doesn't fall. But you know, sometimes you just you see people going on as if there's someone sitting in a room thinking. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to win ten All Irelands for Dublin by throwing. Like it, we're all part of this organisation that we're hopefully are trying to do what's best for it. Mm. I, I don't, I don't see kind of conspiracy mm. theories. I don't jump at shadows. I, I think 
everyone's trying their best um, and that the kind of landscape of GA now is a lot different to what it was when when all that funding was allocated to Dublin so I, I'd have no issue with it being taken away I'd love to see it stay there because I think there's definitely scope for more growth and I really do think that the barometer we should use is, is participation and club level stuff as opposed to just looking at that half a percent of uh, you know the inter-county team is benefiting you know okay it's bound to happen but you've got to look at the bigger picture a bit mm, big time 100% um, before I let you go um, last last question I promise um, <clears throat> what when you look when you look back at all you've achieved what is a special moment um, what is your most special moment uh, around the Dublin setup and it may not be on the pitch but what, what, when you look when you look back and and uh, makes it makes you smile what is that moment Yes, <laughs> that's tough. Um, uh, one of those moments. One of the moments that you just look back on and smile. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll wait till we're offline and tell you if you. <laughs> I, I just find like the day after winning in All Ireland is mm. is uh, like even the, is it the the Monday that or the Tuesday where we tend to gather as a group. Um, away from all the fans and everyone who's been celebrating around Dublin. And I went on one just beautiful, beautiful rollover session with Keenan Sullivan one Tuesday. And we wandered around Dublin um, and then met up with other lads and dribs and drabs. And it's just, it, every now and then I'll, we'll send each other a little photo from that day. Um, that'd be one of them. Jesus. Just pick something on the pitch, shouldn't I? As opposed to no, just no, I don't, I don't want something from the pitch. I think that's that's perfect. I remember that day; you were in great form. You were in fantastic form, <laughs> Jack. I know you have been up for probably um, two days straight now. So uh, thanks a million for your time. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy enjoy our chats, and um, we will catch up for a drink um, before Christmas or around Christmas, please God. For any uh, publishers listening, um, the next uh, J.K. Rowling is here, and um, the next billion dollar fantasy. Um, series so ch- uh, check them out but um and thank you for your efforts on the front line i know um your 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 people around you never say it but uh, it is it is very much appreciated by 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 everyone um and thanks a million for your time and look forward to seeing you soon thanks a million. thank you very much for tuning in to episode four of the bernard brogan podcast i hope you enjoyed that chat with jack i thoroughly did brought to you by super value proud sponsors of the 2020 all-ireland football championship Ty Canelli, Tommy Bow, and Shane Lowry were my first three guests. Please subscribe to OTB GA to check them out as well. This conversation was brought to you by Super Value, proud sponsors of the GEA All Ireland Football Championship for over 11 years.